Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. So, uh, yes, uh, what was I saying? So, yes, there's a system where, you know, it's in a rack and it's all those little units. What is that called? Oh, yes. So they're not freestanding one U and two U rack units. They're, no. They stand no. the other way inside a rack. Yes, yes. Are they and called... everybody calls them lunchbox, but it's not that. That's it? exactly what you're talking about. 500 series. I said it got a five in it. You were right. 500 yeah, series. Not the Thunderbirds. So no. he specialises in those and um, he makes, uh, you know, my camps and compressors and things. And it's good stuff. Are you recording? Uh, yeah, of course. All right, OK. Well, we should explain in case you missed the first bit that I commented you've got IGS on your T-shirt, which is this Polish dude. Quite a good shirt. It's a very, very nice shirt. It's very subtle for you, isn't it? <laughs> well, at least I've got something on. Right. Well, you've always had something on. Every time we've spoken, you've dre- you've you know you've done me the courtesy of dressing. I'm very modest. I don't sit about naked. My name's not Bloody Beggs. No, I mean I'm I'm never I'm never a hundred percent sure if it's a hangover from the previous night's yeah attire. But this morning you look fresh and pristine and no. Well, this is a hangover scrubbed. from the previous night's attire. Oh, is it? But I haven't slept in it. Right. Um. Yes, Iggs, IGS, Igor he's called, and he's got a company called IGS, and uh, he did me a couple of juicy deals. So I said, look, look, I'll wear a T-shirt, mate. Send me a T-shirt. And I think he had this printed specially just, you know, for me, because I don't think he had any. So he printed printed these up, and uh, that was a cool shirt. Um, And... um, so, yes, I occasionally wear it because it's um, on the top of the pile, which is my main criteria for wearing anything. Is that how your clothes rotation works? Yeah. <laughs> I open the wardrobe. And What's I take, first to hand? Yeah, whatever's, whatever's first to hand, I put on. If it's trousers, I put them on, and if it's a T-shirt, I put it on. Good job, good job. I'm seeing IBS in my head. I'm thinking oh, that you're t- telling bell. us you've got... Irritable bowel. <laughs> Irritable bastard syndrome is yes. probably nearer the truth. Yes. Or guitarist. Irri- irri- you've got irritable guitarist syndrome. <laughs> irritable, irritable old bastard syndrome would be quite IOBS. IOBS. <laughs> oh. uh, that, um, that would make quite a good car registration, uh, wouldn't it? Anyway, where have you are got we? a have you got a personalised registration? Well, no. But when I bought the green mini, which I drive about into this day, uh, several decades ago, um, the um, the should I be going public with all this? <laughs> well, it's entirely up to you. I can bleep out the registration plate if you like. The registration plate was High Five Geezer. Ah, HY zero five GZR, um, which I don't know if that was done on purpose or whether it was just what it happened to be. I think it was just what it happened to be, but it does sort of say high five geezer, which is quite funny. I was out having a run this morning, hmm. and a car went past with, uh, and I think it's a person who owns a music shop just a bit down down the way, and he had BA. 55TAB. Bass, bass tab. Bass tab. Yeah. So clearly he's a musician. Possibly a bassist. A possibly a bassist. And for those who don't know, tab is a way of writing music down for people who don't read music. 
Yeah. So it's you write numbers instead. You write fret numbers down instead of writing, you know, notes. Yes. But you don't need them for bassists because first of all they wouldn't understand it, and second of all, you know, it's four bloody strings. You just go dum 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 dum. Don't you? you don't play bloody chords, do you? Well, maybe maybe it was ironic then. Maybe it was a guitarist who was making a point. <laughs> I, did I tell you, uh, that, that session player, Phil Palmer, who plays with Trevor Horn, who's played with Tina Turner, and you name them, Eric Clapton, everybody. I was, I was, I was in Trevor's band and I sidled up to, to Phil. He's a really lovely person. And I said, Phil, I play a bit of guitar myself, very badly. I said, and you're the man. Have you got any tips for guitar playing for the likes of me? And he said, yes. He said, this hand goes on the neck, this hand goes up and down. That was it. That's, so that was the gold from Phil Palmer. Well, he's... He's got a point. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's taken one look at you and gone, right, we're back at the beginning here, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I won't blind him with science. He's given you the Fisher-Price the Fisher Price approach. He did, he did. Oh, bless him. I know, I, I said, oh, cheers. <laughs> well, he got rid of you, didn't he? It did get rid of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he clever lad fell, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. I'm sensing it's not the first time a singer's sidled over to him and asked him that question. <laughs> that's, that's the thing, isn't it, with musicians? They all have the different people in different boxes in their minds. And so if you're a guitarist, you, you look at someone like me and go, singer, treat accordingly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> approach with caution, treat accordingly. And, and uh, that's which is probably roughly how I think of guitarists. I'm surprised he didn't say to you, oh, and make sure you buy something really spangly in terms of its finish. <laughs> well, to quote Dave Gregory, bloody hell, bloody hell, that looks like a bog seed. <laughs> I, had a, I had quite a spangly um, Italia um, six string with a pink pearlescent finish. And once Greg's pointed it out, I had to concur that they do do toilet seats in that finish. <laughs> Looks like a bog seat, Steve. So I've called it the bog seat ever after. There you are. You see, there's another guitarist who treats you in a certain way. <laughs> are you noticing a pattern here? Well, they are very good guitarists, to be fair. Yeah. Rothers, on the other hand, just doesn't speak to me at all. <laughs> at all. <laughs> I'm sensing a pattern. Anyway, shall we start? <laughs> yes. Oh, have we not started? Well, you know, I mean, we have, obviously, but it's it's always worth, you know, there's an appreciable improvement in the quality of the content when we say that. Did I ever show you my eight chopperly? Yeah, she's, yeah the, the board. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, I've put it on the wall now. I'm just admiring it. Yeah, because that's got my powder blue Rickenbacker on it. And I'll it's be, hanging on the wall. It's hanging on the wall now. Got... So, you know when you said, I have, a sh- have a shown you this, if I'd have said no, what were you going to do next? I don't know. I might have swivelled the camera so, you could, camera so you could enjoy it. <laughs> I was waiting for you to go, I've had no idea what it's over there, look. Can't yeah, you see it? It's, the, it's over there underneath, it's over there. underneath Miles Davis. <laughs> I wonder how many women can say that. Indeed. Probably quite Actually, I know the answer to that one. It's 17. <laughs> well, so, what, a week? <laughs> right, you ready? <sighs> right. There's got to be a trumpet gag there, but carry on, carry on. Hello and welcome to Chapter 164 of the Corona Diaries. <sighs> Good morning, everybody. Now, you messaged me. You messaged me in between the first message that said I was running late and the second message. <laughs> well, yeah. You messaged me to say, I've read the diary. Have you, I've, I've recorded the diary. Have you read it? Oh, okay. Yeah. And you said you'd rec- you've actually read till the end of the year, haven't you? Well, it is only another four days, to be honest. Yeah. But yes, I have read to the end of the year. Which means I've now changed my plan for today. Oh. 
Right. Only because I think it flows really nicely as all one piece, because I did then go away and read the, the last two bits. So I think we'll go to a bit of diary in a minute, and then we'll have a break, and then we'll have the other bit and do it all in one oh, go. Oh, we'll do it like that this this week, yeah. I think yeah. so, because it's two really nice sections of diary, isn't it? It is. It is, actually. I, I, was, I, was, I was surprised reading it back that uh, it was quite memorable. memorable. It, um, yes, because it contains Niall's birth. Oh, does it? Oh, no, no, it no, begins after Niles. It's the day after Niles' birthday, day, isn't yes. it? He had his birthday on the Caracas show. So it's about uh, getting out of Venezuela, which turned out to be every bit as complicated as getting in, um, and then going to Mexico. Oh, now you you are you all right? You've gone a bit funny now, and oh, it's happened again. Oh, dear God, it's happened again. Right, I'm going to press stop because I think I think Anthony's internet's gone down. Oh, you're back. I thought it was you. No, you did a lot of very interesting things then. Oh, did I? Yeah, you, look, you looked around as though you were being plagued by a flying insect a lot. In fact, in fact like you were a cartoon character being plagued by a flying insect. You did all that. I, I was and doing then, that, and then you went I was very, doing that. and then you went very quiet. Ah, I know. I thought it was you. I was doing that because you'd gone very still. <laughs> well, I hadn't. I just but wasn't now, doing this. Well, you are now. Like you were. I was doing that. So come on, we'll start that bit again. Then let's start that <laughs> bit again. Well, I've been here the whole time, darling. <laughs> well, well, yours is recorded, then, hasn't it? I hope so. Yeah. Oh, well, let's leave it in and see what we've got. Yeah. It'll come as a surprise to me when I listen to it. <laughs> All right, hope. Right. Well, before we go to that bit of diary... You um, don't get this on the BBC, do you? People don't, you know... You probably do, don't you? Oh, yeah. What's that yeah. woman called who does the sport? Who's quite butch. She did a Claire lot Balding. of... Claire Balding. Sorry, I just wanted to mention Claire Balding there. I've finished. Right. Okay, wait... <laughs> Just wants to mention Claire Balding. <laughs> I feel bad now that on that description I got it. I must apologise to Claire. I don't think of you as butch Claire. No. Well, imagine if she ever got alopecia. What an unfortunate name that would be. Anyway. That's, 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 that's horrid. Yes. It is. Yes. Yes. You should be deeply ashamed of yourself. <laughs> It's I'm severing. I'm severing all connection with you at this point. Just a fact. Sorry, I apologise to any of the listeners with alopecia who might be called balding. Right. Um, before we go to diary, yeah. you also said to me, apropos of nothing, arrived out of the blue. I need to talk about Sweden. Oh yes. Well, only only to to trail the gigs a bit in case. I mean, I know that the the great majority of of our listeners are not Swedish. So there's probably three, um, but for those who are not Swedish and fancy a little trip to Sweden, I have got a Swedish tour coming up in July. Sweden's a great country. Stockholm's lovely. If you haven't been, you might have been to the um, Marillion Swedish Weekend mm-hmm. when I, when I was ill a couple of years ago or a year ago, or whenever it was. Uh, but if you fancy a little, you know, pushing your nose round Stockholm at dead of night, and God knows I have, um, it's a good place to push your nose round. And and I've got a gig as well, which is also could also be a reason for coming. Are you now saying that not only you're doing a gig, but you're also going to be pushing your nose around Stockholm into the early hours, so come along for two reasons. You might find me in a gutter after I've warbled a bit. You might. There's always a chance of that. Right. Well, that sounds like a reason to come. I'm, I am now on Ryanair's website. Well, Stockholm, the old town's lovely if you've never been. It's no, I quite, haven't been, actually. It's quite unique. It's beautiful. I did actually consider coming to Stockholm in all seriousness but it clashes with the family holiday so I can't but oh, I did okay. when it came out I was like actually do you know what I quite fancy that where are you going on holiday um, so we're having a week in Devon uh, and then from Devon we're going to France for Ooh. a fortnight whereabouts in France um, just a little a little seaside town called Saint-Gilles-Croix-de-Vie which is down in the Vendée 
Well, I, don't, I didn't understand a word of that. Well, you're the, I thought you were a bit of a French speaker. Down in a Vondi? Yes. I thought that was a car. I've got a Nissan Vondi. No, that's a Citroen. <laughs> the Nissan, the Nissan Quandary. Did we were, were we talking about that? Did we talk no. about that? Oh, right. No, no, it's down. It's kind of um, we, you, you go. You dr- it's just it's just on from Nantes. Oh, well, Nantes. an hour and a half from Nantes. Now Nantes on the sort of west coast, isn't it? A bit. Yeah, it's on the Atlantic bit, coast. A bit north of the uh, middle. Bit, yeah, kind of a bit north of the middle. I think yeah. the next place down is La Rochelle's a bit further down. Into La Rochelle's lovely. Yeah, so it's yeah, kind of kind of that kind place. of area. That's a good place to push your nose around at dead of night as well. La Rochelle. Oh, I'll do that then. Oh, I was thinking yeah. of things to do. Oh, La Rochelle's amazing. Go and have a look. All right, push my nose around dead of night. Mm. But right. even well, during that. the days, all right. Right, sorry, I know you're trying to move on. And well, I'm, I'm just... only trying to get on to this first section of diary just oh, so yeah. this episode clocks in at under three hours. <laughs> that's, all I'm, that's all I'm trying for. Right. Well, I I'm... don't know what the longest recorded podcast ever is. I'm with you 100%, Anthony, on that. Right, should we go to diary then? Section one, first part. Okay, let me take you to Caracas, Venezuela. Was there a creaky noise in amongst that? Yeah, did you creak? This chair creaks like a bastard. It's your, it's your captain's chair. Your head teacher's chair, isn't it? It's either that or my spine. I've never been quite sure. You've got a spine loose. <laughs> got a captain's spine. Wednesday, 24th of October. Caracas to Mexico. Travel day. The phone rang at ten past four in the morning. It was my alarm call. You've got 20 minutes, said Frenchie in his usual deadpan style. I got up and showered, then quickly packed and made my way down to reception. I had no extras to pay, so that was that. We all piled into the goat van and left for the airport. Unbelievably, there was a traffic jam on the freeway out of the city at 5am. We nudged along in stationary traffic for about an hour until we eventually made it to the airport. All the equipment was brought in just as dawn was breaking. Check-in took an age. There are security men everywhere. Half of them are ours, and the rest were going through suitcases at random. E&M got searched along with Nick Todd and Christian the LD. When I eventually got to the desk, the man wanted his photograph taken with me. After check-in came more security, of course. Shoes off, but no need to take laptops out of bags. It's different everywhere in the world. After security came border control. It's as hard to get out of Venezuela as it is to get in. Out of the dozen or so border desks, only one had anyone working. One guy to process a queue which must have consisted of a hundred people. It grew with every passing minute. I ended up standing in line with Ian behind two girls, one of which was wearing a little bomber jacket covered in handguns, each one in Warhol-esque bright colours. I said to Ian, Guns? You wouldn't normally associate guns with the fairer sex. No, said Ian thoughtfully. Daggers. And so it was that, having got up at four o'clock, we arrived at gate 23 around nine o'clock for a plane which was boarding at seven o'clock and taking off at 8.30 to discover it hadn't even arrived yet. When it did arrive... Franchi was called back to the desk and given a high-vis jacket. They were taking him onto the runway. They wanted to search every case of the equipment before loading it. After another hour or so, we boarded and all the carry-on bags were searched again at the door of the plane. They sure are careful here. I can't remember when we took off, but not long after we were in the air, the pilot came on the tannoy to say that we were, in fact currently flying south to avoid Tropical Storm Sandy and that there might be some turbulence. 
great. As it turned out, there was hardly any, and as I write, the descent has just been announced, landing in 20 minutes. Please discontinue the use of electronic devices. Bye. Getting into Mexico was also time-consuming. There was a long and slow-moving queue to immigration, which must have taken well over half an hour. After that, a wait for bags, and then join another queue to have everything scanned again. We landed around two, but it was nearer 4.30 by the time we emerged. Having said that, there's such a noticeable difference between the disinterested and surly attitude of the Venezuelan officials and the good-natured and welcoming Mexicans. I have said for years that Mexican people have a lot of heart and unpretentious warmth, and I found it to be so once again. I bought some Cadbury's milk chocolate in the duty-free, a little bag of miniatures, and handed them round band and crew. I think everyone found a bit of chocolate to be a good thing after such an early morning and long day travelling. There was a policewoman eyeing up our equipment and generally watching over the baggage carousel. I offered her a chocolate, quite certain that she would decline. But no, she broke into a big smile, thanked me and took one. As I left the baggage hall, a customs man asked me if I have a certificate for all the equipment. Frenchy, help! It turned out that we didn't have the piece of paper he was looking for. Again, after a short chat with his superior, he waved us through. No 40-minute wait. No bribe dressed up as tax. We exited the airport into the 30-degree heat of the Mexican afternoon. I popped into Starbucks to grab a chai. It took another hour to get into town to the hotel, which seemed very nice. Again, everyone here is so friendly and says hello whenever you pass them. Arrived in room 713 and set up my laptop so that I could Skype home in the morning. Elle will be in bed now. It's midnight in England. The minibar was locked and I was gagging for a beer. A lady came up to unlock it and mysteriously began pulling objects out of it like Mary Poppins. First came a full-sized umbrella, followed by a mirror, then a wooden terraced tray full of chocolate and crisps. There's a constant underlying force of the bazaar in Mexico, another thing I love about the place. I texted home and let Lynetta know I'm safely arrived. Later went downstairs and met up with the crew and E&M and we walked a little way across town to a little traditional restaurant and had a fine Mexican dinner and a few excellent margaritas. Returned to the hotel around 10pm and went to my room to lie on the bed. I didn't last long. It had been a long day. Thursday, 25th of October. Mexico, day off. In theory, it's a day off. In practice, we've agreed to devote most of the day to Rolling Stone magazine. We were picked up at 4pm to be taken in a van to Rolling Stone's office, which is in a beautiful old Spanish-style building in one of the wealthy parts of Mexico City, right around the corner from the Il Presidente Hotel we used to stay in. It was there that I saw David Hockney in the breakfast queue. The greeting at Rolling Stone was really warm and respectful. We sat at a big table for a while as one by one different members of the magazine's staff appeared and seemed genuinely delighted to have us there. I was offered Jack Daniels and Coke and given presents by the magazine. T-shirts and candy skulls with our name on. Next week it's the Day of the Dead, November the 2nd, so there are skulls and skeletons much in evidence. We were shown upstairs to a room which had been lit for TV. It had been arranged for the band to do a filmed online chat. People from around Mexico and around the world had submitted questions. It was fun. Everyone was relaxed and feeling at home. In front of us was a little table covered in candles, flowers and little gravestones with skeletons waving from beneath them. Quite voodooish and very Rolling Stonesy. I was invited to take a grave with me and so I tried to pack it carefully into a box with newspaper in the hope that the delicate waving skeleton wasn't damaged on the journey home. 
We said bye and see you later and then got back into the bus, stopping for photographs with staff and even a passing traffic warden. To go to soundcheck for the one-hour acoustic set, we have agreed to play for Rolling Stone magazine tonight. It turned out to be a restaurant. Soundcheck was chaotic and hellish. Phil Brown doesn't like digital desks, and that's what he had. Apparently all the controls were on screen, and the screen was broken. There was persistent 200 hertz feedback which took ages to get rid of. We hadn't rehearsed and we were frantically trying to make a plan and decide upon a set. In the end, we decided to do the one at a time thing where I start the show and am joined by the band one at a time. Backstage was a back room where a large table had been set for dinner. The crew had arrived to hang out and have fun and were working their way through Mescal Tequila. At 8.30, I went on and began the show with the hollow man from Brave. People talked over verse 1, so I stopped and asked them to be quiet. That might be an understatement. I think my actual words were, just because we're playing a restaurant doesn't mean I'm a fucking cabaret singer, so if you don't want to listen to me, just let me know and I'll fuck off. They quietened down a bit after that, but there was still a constant murmur, so I abandoned the song and tried to cover my eyes instead. That seemed to bore them less, or maybe it was just louder. Pete T then joined me, and we played the bell in the sea, bass and voice. Then Rothers joined us, and on it went until all five of us were on stage. In the end, the whole thing was very well received. After the show, we sat down to dinner. The food was excellent and we were really well looked after by the head waiter, a typically warm, smiley chap who couldn't do enough for us. At one point in the evening we were introduced to the owner of the restaurant and his wife. I told him to give the head waiter a pay rise and said he was terrific. After the owner had gone, the head waiter punched the air in celebration. I didn't stay late, although I was a little worried about Niall who was drinking tequila copiously. After my poisoning in Sao Paulo, I was keen for him not to go through what I'd been through. Tomorrow's a gig day and he'll have to work. I returned first in the van with PT. I guess this is the new me. In the old days I would have hung out and partied, talked rubbish, got sloshed etc. But I seem to be losing the appetite for all of it and a quiet room with BBC World on the telly even if I have seen it all before twice earlier, is an attractive prospect. Peace at last, and all that. And we're back! (laughs) Or are we back? Ah, we're back, we're back. Am Am I in record? No, yes, we are back. Oh, excellent. Let me just do slightly more enthusiastic. There we are. All right. You don't want me to go again then, do you not? The first one was a bit insincere. Right. What are you going to do? You're going to chop that around and see what, (laughs) what, drop it in at the the appropriate place. Yes. Right. (laughs) It's all a bit kerfuffled this morning. Um, No, we're all right now. I'm going to ask you something serious before we get on to something slightly more playful. Press your serious button. You've pressed it. Well done. So I read that diary piece and piece piece, and I slightly bristled when you used the the phrase "fairer sex." Oh, that's something I do that does that does piss some of the girls off. I've noticed. But if I'd have read that in 2012 when you wrote it, I probably wouldn't have bristled. So that's right. definitely a change in me over that point in time. Do you bristle at things like that when you read it again now? Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't. Maybe it's my age, but I don't see how anyone can be offended by fairer sex because it just just implies that they're better looking than the blokes, which most of them are. Um, yeah, you know, especially if you're a bloke. Um, and so more I, empathetic and generally nicer and more thoughtful and, you know. Yes, I tend to think of fairer as in, as in fairer to look at, you know, more, more right. beautiful. I don't think of fairer as in, you know, the opposite of unfair. 
Uh, but I do. But I'm thinking about it now. Right. So I guess I've never really thought about it. I but, I don't know what it's. I mean, it's a good thing, and I'm not saying it's not a good thing. But clearly, that shift of of attitude, that shift as you grow and you develop, and because I did, I did read it and go, ooh, that made me feel a bit. Oh, ooh. oh well, I'm going to have to modify my future behaviour. Um. Well, no. I mean, this is a historical record. I'll just call them bloody women going forward. There was this bloody woman <laughs> stood in front of me in the queue. So it's not, I'm not convinced that's helping. So it's not to offend. Um, I was just because because parts of this are 15 years. In fact, part parts of this are 20 years old, 25 years old. You've got to admit, Mosley's repost was pure gold, though. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. To be fair, <laughs> you're probably very sexist. Uh, but based on his own experience, I suspect. Um, yes. Well, I think I think, and I'll take. I, I will go with my my good lady in this. That if my good lady was going to do me any harm, I don't think she'd shoot me from a distance. I think she'd stab me from close. <laughs> <laughs> now you can read into that whatever you want, exactly. and it might be the same for Vanetta. She'd want to be close enough to see your pupils dilate. <laughs> and the and the air squeezed out of you as you've perished. Yeah. 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 This is something I really mean. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. The other thing that made me smile. I mean, apart from you, I mean it's a horrendous that was a horrendous day in terms of travel, wasn't it? By the sound. Yeah, I've had a few. And that that I mean, whenever you go to South America it, it's it's horrendous to the point of being funny normally. Mm. I mean like when we went, when Phil and I went, and, and and the man in Rio vanished halfway through the check-in, that was hysterical. He just left, and we just went. I do love that. Where's he gone? Well, I don't know. Well, is he coming back? Well, I don't know. Well, we'll wait. And then he didn't. And then we had to go to the bloke at the next desk and go. He just left halfway through, and and he just he didn't even bother shrugging his shoulders. This other fella. It was like the most normal thing in the world. But it's never happened before or since. So, yeah. Apart uh, from with Rothers. Ah, what happened with Rothers? Well, he, do, he you, you, you constantly say that he just disappears. Oh, no, but he's a guitarist. He's one of those. You expect that, don't you? Well, all we now know is that <laughs> Rothers should never work on a check-in desk. <laughs> He'd be hysterical on a check-in desk. I want to see that, actually. Or as a fireman. Because he would he would have burnt to death before he'd done something about it. <laughs> this should be a new game. There should be a documentary of, of various members of Marillion working on an easy jet checking desk. <laughs> In the orange jackets. Yeah, great. how can that not be gold? It would be. Absolute gold. That's a TV show. Um, on to Rolling Stone, who, oh, yeah. by the sounds of things, treated you very, very well. Yeah, they were lovely. Um, and and I was uh, that did did the did the thing you ever get home? Did the coffin get home? You 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 purloined a coffin by the sounds. of I've things. actually got it on a shelf in the other room. Next time you visit, I'll show you. But this the skeleton did did disintegrate because he was made oh. out of. Uh, uh, cake icing, you know, you know, icing. I you were going to say cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, cake icing's a little bit of a letdown, <laughs> actually, if I'm being honest. <laughs> if he'd be made out of cocaine, he probably wouldn't have lasted. He wouldn't have made <laughs> no. it onto the plane. Um, but he was made out of cake icing, um, and the the little grave, the the little grave, he was he was s- s- sat. Satin waving out of uh, was made. I think that's made out of sort of like polystyrene. And so I, I did all I could. I, I wrapped it up in umpteen layers of padding because I really like like liked it. And of course, by the time I got home and opened my suitcase and carefully undid it all, he was just in bits. Oh. And I, they've yet to make a glue that sticks cake icing back together. Um, if you're out there working for a well-known glue uh, manufacturer, folks, and you've got anything that sticks cake icing back together, uh, let me know. Mind it is a bit late. 
I think he mm. went he went in the bin. Uh, but I've still got the little grave. You might be the first person who's ever said, if you've got anything to stick cake icing together, if there's a glue, <laughs> some form of compound that's good on cake icing. Cake icing glue. You don't see it, do you? Down at B&Q. I've been distracted. Well, no, not in one of those tube things that goes in the funny little, you know, glue yeah, gun things. Yeah. I've now been totally distracted by the thought of Ozzy Osbourne carrying his cocaine round in a little coffin. Oh, yeah. Well, it's highly likely, isn't it? Someone in a group once told me that mm-hmm. their group used to keep the drugs in the mirror ball. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a very good idea. It was hauled right up into the... <laughs> Hold right up into the air, and it's, <laughs> the sniffer dogs can't sniff it. Can't sniff it because it's too high up. <laughs> That's a really good idea. It should also work as a salad spinner. <laughs> salad spinner, a mirror ball. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. You can you can you can put your narcotics in one, <laughs> and your gem lettuce in the other. Yeah, narcotics. Which must always be pronounced with a Glaswegian accent. Accent. <laughs> Narcotics. Did you have a good night? It was fantastic. I went to the wrong mirror ball. I was hoping to get a little salad and I ended up smacked off my tits. <laughs> Will you be visiting the mirror ball this evening, sir? <laughs> <laughs> There's an episode title. Back to your gig. Oh, Back yeah. to your Rolling Stones organised gig. Oh, yeah. I'm loving the line uh, that you doled out whilst trying to get through the Hollow Man. Yeah. Just because I'm in a restaurant, I'm not a cabaret singer. I'm not a fucking cabaret singer. Oh, fucking cabaret. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, yes. I was a bit nasty because I don't, I, yeah. you know, I, I don't like not being listened to. So, Were you a little riled at that point, well, Steve? I'd been known to kick chairs from under people when I was younger. Skinheads. So, I, yes, it's, if one thing really gets my goat and rubs my dander up the wrong way, Anthony, it's, it's singing to people who aren't listening, which sounds a bit egoistic, but I'm just as happy to walk off. Yeah, not singing at all. Yeah, I have no problem with that. But if I'm going to walk onto a stage and open my mouth and people aren't listening, I just get a bit cross. And I, do you know what? Two things. One, it's just common courtesy. Straight away, it's common courtesy. The second thing is, I don't buy with this argument of I've bought a ticket. I'm going, to, I can, which means I now am able to do what I want. No, I don't. But I've never bought that argument. I think that's disrespectful in mm. the extreme. I am, however, conscious of the fact that I was once told off for talking at, at Rufus Wainwright show. Um, and I think I was just high on life and yakking away to Pete Travis. Um And I have the greatest respect for Rufus and love his music and was listening. But sometimes, even though you're listening, you think of something and you go, oh, and did I tell you blah, 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 blah. So nobody's perfect and I shouldn't be as harsh as I am and be so petulant. I shouldn't. No, you see, I, I'm going to disagree with you there. I'm going to say you're perfectly right to be harsh and petulant. You'd just have been harsh on yourself when you did it at Rufus. Yeah, Rufus should have told me to shut the fuck up. Yes. Yeah. Fair In comment. fact, if we can get him on before the end of the episode. <laughs> just to say that and leave. Just to say that and go. <laughs> that would be genius. Can't do a Rufus Wainwright impression, can you? I couldn't imagine Rufus saying that. Christy Moore did it, didn't he? Christy Moore did it at a gig where he stopped halfway through a song and just said to the person on the balcony, I don't know, you know, what's your problem, but just just go to the door, get your money and fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, at least he offered him a refund. I, I think I'm that was very saying. generous. Like, they wouldn't have got one out of me. No, Irish. Mine, they, the w- they wouldn't have paid, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> let's Let's go to that other bit of diary. Actually, before we do that, quick thing, because this, this flashed in front of my eyes on the other day on Facebook and it made me think about you. Do you have a dishwasher? <laughs> Why did that make you think about me? When I finish the sentence, you'll oh, know okay. Do you have yes. a dishwasher? Yes, I do have a dishwasher, yeah. Right. So I read something the other day on Facebook that says that in every, in every relationship, there's one person who packs a dishwasher 
like a Swedish architect and uh, one who packs it like a raccoon on meth. Yeah. Which I thought was a brilliant line. The whole <laughs> raccoon on meth thing, I just thought was genius. So, so Well, I don't even we, need to answer that question, do I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm married to a Scandinavian work, <laughs> and I'm a musician. Work it out. <laughs> Steve, raccoon on meth, oh God. <laughs> We need somebody to do you a T-shirt that's clearly got a pictorial representation of a raccoon on meth. Oh, we've had arguments about which way the knife should point in the knife drawer, you know, and the spoons and all of that. And these spoons are all pointing in different directions. I said, well, they're in a bloody drawer. What does it matter? Oh, no, they all have to go and, you know, now look at the mess. And I have to take half of them out and put them back in the right way. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> in you. most situations, and particularly in this one, Lynetta's right. Yeah, I have to just say to her, look, give me a minute for this meth to wear off and I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> right, the other bit of diary's coming, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Here it comes. Thursday, 26th of October, Mexico, Metropolitan. A beautiful morning outside, apart from the building work going on outside my window. I thought I'd try my luck and see if I could change rooms, so I called and asked to speak to the manager. She was called Monica and was very nice, saying that if I give her a little time, she will see what is available and perhaps move me to a suite on the other side. Nice. I decided to walk down the avenue to Starbucks and buy a cappuccino. When I got back, Monica, the manager, was waiting for me and I was shown to suite 902, which is bigger than our house and has a balcony so I can sunbathe. Hooray! I Skyped home and then creamed up with the Factor 30 I'd bought in Sao Paulo and sat out on the balcony for half an hour or so. Didn't leave it too long, it's midday and you've got to be careful. Spent the next couple of hours writing this diary and opening and closing doors, curtains, cupboards, etc. I'm now in room 902, a suite with an excellent view of the Golden Angel, the high-rise buildings and the Mexican hills beyond. At 4pm we had to be down in the lobby for the van ride to the Metropolitan. We arrived round the back of the gig and I remembered the street. They should call it Electrical Street, but they don't. There are a number of shops selling electric motors, compressors and washing machine spares. Mexico's great. Round the front of the building is where Fernando Acev took the picture of me with the umbrella, which appeared in Rolling Stone on the same page as Bono and Al Gore, and opposite Amy Winehouse, Keith Richards and Liv Tyler. Backstage out in the yard, a trestle table had been set up and a hot buffet was being served. I hadn't eaten yet at that point, so I tucked into chicken and rice. The Mexican lady smiled warmly as she served me, and so did the guys. Everyone here treats everyone else with warmth and respect. The world should be like the people of Mexico City. I was pretty hoarse at soundcheck. Oh well, it will either go one way or the other. Last time we played here, I ended up sitting on the statue at stage right. I decided I should start where I left off last time. I could sing Splintering Heart from up there, so I climbed up to see how best to do it. I decided I'd need a stepladder if I was to have any hope of getting up there unseen at the beginning of the show. I could climb to it via the PA to the right of the curtains, and with a bit of luck most of the people wouldn't notice until the light hit me. Frenchie said he'd organise a stepladder. Between the soundcheck and show, I took a walk with Niall round to the Church of St Judas. Rothers informs me that this is in fact St Jude, patron saint of lost causes, not Judas Iscariot. Maybe they never made him a saint. 
Either way, it seems an odd choice of saint. The church had been visible from the van on the way here, and being one of the few old buildings we'd passed, I thought it might be worth a look. Inside was somewhat busier than English churches. It seems the Mexicans are into their Catholic religion in a big way. The altar was highly decorated in the colourful Mexican way, quite festive really compared to the sombre classical churches of Europe. There wasn't really much to see, so Niall and I made our way back to Washing Machine Street, stopping occasionally to be photographed and give autographs to passing fans. Everyone here is so humble and appreciative, so it never feels like a chore. I can really feel the altitude of Mexico City, 7,000 feet above sea level, making me noticeably out of breath while walking around, climbing stairs, etc. I kept feeling a little light-headed at random. The show was going to be hard work. I'd better be careful I don't fall off the narrow ledge getting to the statue. Are you sure about this? the boys kept asking. They needn't have worried. It all worked quite well. Not too many people saw me creep out and onto the PA, then up onto the ledge and along to the statue where the light was to hit me for the beginning of the show. The boys agreed it looked great. The show itself went really well. It was physically more demanding than usual, owing to the altitude. I suddenly felt really unfit, puffing and panting between each line of the songs. The crowd, though, about 3,000 of them, sold out, were in amazing form, singing along particularly with the old pre-me hits, but no less loudly with Easter and No One Can. Getting off stage was a relief. Some nights I wonder if I'll live through it. This was one of those. Friday, 27th of October, La Condesa, Mexico. Again, a tremendous atmosphere. Despite feeling knackered and struggling vocally, the crowd lifted me moment by moment above the tiredness and the altitude which makes everything that bit more strenuous. Found myself weeping as they sang, No one can take you away from me now. The next day, I walked along the wide avenue that is the Paseo de la Reforma. It reminds me a little bit of Las Ramblas in Barcelona. The wide road has a central strip of narrow parkland where people can walk. At the moment, it's filled with bizarre papier-mâché sculptures of dragon-like creatures, brightly painted in acrylic yellows, oranges and greens, and covered in Mexican mythological mad creatures, skeletons, little aliens, and every creature known and unknown to man. There is also a photographic exhibition of portraits of women in support of breast cancer awareness and a Nescafe exhibition of sculptures and installations made entirely from mugs. It's obvious to me as I walk along that this city is trying really hard to express itself. Positivity and ideas are everywhere. The people seem smiley and happy irrespective of their backgrounds and an atmosphere of warmth and good nature fills the street. I used to like Mexico City and the Mexicans. Now I love the place. It has a beating heart that puts most other cities to shame. Our two shows here were among the warmest reactions we've ever had anywhere. My enduring memory was that aforementioned last encore at La Condesa. I'm standing at the edge of the stage, in-ear monitors dangling, leaning out over the crowd, holding out the mic and just soaking up the sound of the crowd, to find my own tears coming. Amazing people. Everywhere I can see people crying, so honest and unafraid to show themselves. They sing, No one can take you away from me now. Tears rolling down their cheeks. It's not a song, it's a promise. Are you strong enough to be beautiful? Yes, you are. Absolutely. Mexico City. A million thanks. And for the second time, we're back. Oh, thank you very much, Governor. And nobody knows what that means. <laughs> I do. Oh, you do. You do. You do. <sighs> right, so the second bit of diary I've not read. 
Right. So I, I don't know what <laughs> happened at the gig. Well, I um, have read it. And uh, no, it was really lovely. It was lovely. We played the Metropolitan in Mexico City. And then we played uh, another gig called La Condesa, which, if I'm honest, I don't quite remember that show perfectly. But I, well, you only wrote a few lines on it, didn't you? So you can't. Just about how lovely it was at the end when mm. they were all singing No One Can Take You Away From Me Now. And it was like a promise. It was lovely. And I'd almost forgotten as well. I mean, I've got a soft spot for Mexico City. But coming back to that and reading it um, reminded me of, of just what a soft spot I have and why. It's just the most fabulous city, and I, I thoroughly recommend it to the house. If ever you, uh, if ever you thought of going to Mexico and thought, oh, I wouldn't like to go there. There's a lot of violence. Um, in my experience, I've never seen any violence in Mexico City. Maybe I, I walk around the right bits, uh, but then as a tourist, you probably would. Mm. Uh, and it's just lovely, and the the feeling of sort of bonhomie and mutual respect on the street between people, irrespective of their whether they're wealthy or whether they're just street vendors or whatever they are, there's just a lovely vibe in Mexico City, and everybody's nice to everybody else, and it's it's a pleasure to see, and I love the place, love the Mexicans. And that really comes across. And actually the shift from, and whether it's just that particular set of circumstances that day or what have you, but when you went, you came from Venezuela, when you, when you, you, you came into Mexico from getting out of Venezuela, which seemed like such a pain, getting into Mexico, which seemed so simple. It, it is almost like your writing style changed. It was like you, right. you, the way we, you know, it was almost like one was being written because it had been kind of, you know, yes, there'd been Niall's birthday, but it, it still had been, hard-working places, and then you just start writing about Mexico in this beautiful, florid style. Right. Uh, well, I wasn't aware of that, but it's it's true. I mean, everything in Venezuela, especially anything to do with the authorities or box-ticking or any of that, is not only uptight, it's corrupt. So it's uptight and corrupt. And then you get to Mexico, and, and as I said... I, I was going through customs at the airport and this, this bloke came up and asked me if I'd got a certificate for all the equipment. And my insides turned to jelly because I'm a singer, so naturally if we had a certificate, I wouldn't bloody know where it was. Nobody's giving that to you, are they? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, Frenchie's not letting me anywhere near that. So, Frenchie, help! Uh, a man wants a thing. Um, and um, so, and then Frenchy Frenchy rummaged about in his his paperwork, and and he he didn't have one either. And uh, and the man said, "Oh, I need to make a phone call." And he, he gets on the phone, puts the phone out. And he said, "All right, go on." Um, and that's the difference between Mexico and Venezuela. We'd have been there for a bloody week in Venezuela, and someone would have took ten thousand dollars off us. Yeah. Um, which they probably wouldn't have handed on to the authorities. They just stuck it in their back pocket. There's a lot of that that was going on in in Caracas. So it was unpleasant. It was corrupt. It was dodgy. You know, I had my laptop stolen. Um, Things, you know, you couldn't leave anything anywhere. It would get half-inched. Mm. And Mexico's just not like that. And it, it's so unfair that Hollywood has given Mexicans this reputation as banditos and, you know, ne'er-do-wells that'll come and rape your, rape your family on your homestead um, because the reverse is true, actually. Mm. The family My on the homestead would be more likely to rape the Mexicans, <laughs> to be <laughs> My favourite bit of all of it was that you fancy the beer, you rang down, somebody comes up to unlock the <laughs> minibar, and then there's that Russ Abbott moment where somebody's pulling out, you know, stepladders. And, it was Mary and... Poppins. It was. She, she, brought, she, she took a full-sized umbrella out of my minibar, and I'll never know how she did it to this day. Things just kept coming out while I stood there next to her going, what the fuck? <laughs> 
thought that was great. I thought that was just lovely. In fact, we should finish this week on just just visualise that, folks. Just visualise that. <laughs> Mexican maid opens minibar and removes full-size umbrella. There's a thought. Right, I'll see you next time. Okie dokie. Well, that was a pleasure, wasn't it? Was that it? was lovely. Yeah. Thoroughly Go- enjoyed it this Governor. morning. Thank you, Governor. Um, yeah, it was it was lovely. I'm going to press the other button now. Yeah, press the other button. <laughs> That's yeah. the G, G for go. I'm going. Oh, in Sweden, folks. Don't forget Sweden. Oh, hang on. I'm back on S. Back on I'll S. Think about the... Sweden. Yes. Have a look at my dates. Stockholm. Shall I? Uh, I'll I'll put the dates up on the um, on the on the Patreon because as a post that could be. The kind of thing any sane person would have done weeks ago. I'll do I love that. it when we discover marketing tips. It's fantastic. <laughs> that's that's like you sidling over to Lucy in a Phil Palmer style, and she's going, "Post it on Patreon." <laughs> yes, this hand here, the other hand up and down. <laughs> All right, well, bye, everybody. Viva Mexico. Bye. Everybody knows we live in a world where we give bad names to beautiful things. Everybody knows we live in a world where we don't give beautiful things a second glance. Heaven only knows we live in a world where what we call beautiful is just something on sale. People laughing behind their hands while the fragile and the sensitive are given no chance. And the leaves turn from red to brown to be trodden down. We don't have to live in a world where we give bad names to beautiful things. We should live in a beautiful world. We should give beautiful a second chance. While the leaves turn from red to brown to be trodden down. The leaves turn green to red to brown, fall to the ground and get kicked around. You strong enough to be? Have you the faith to be? Are you sane enough to be? Honest enough to stay? You don't have to be the same. Don't have to be this way. Come on, sign your name. You're wild enough to remain beautiful. The leaves turn from red to brown to be trodden down. And we all fall green to red to brown, down to the ground. But we can turn it around. You're strong enough to be. Why don't you stand up and say it? Give yourself a break. They'll laugh at you anyway. So why don't you stand up and be beautiful? Black, white, red. Golden brown, stuck in this world, nowhere to go, turning around. What are you so afraid of? Show us what you're made of. Be yourself and be beautiful. Be yourself. You're strong enough. Thank you, Christopher Elwick. Thanks, Sharon Robinson. Thank you and welcome aboard, Mike Guitar Dog Collie. Thank you, Linda Dixie. Thanks, Greg Towers. Thank you, Karen Rogers. Thank you, Eric. That's all you said. Thank you, Marcus Farman. Thanks, Neil Kilgore. Thank you, Paolo. 
Thank you, Chris Johnson. It's good to be purple. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.